Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to Creature Feature, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and I think animals are pretty neat. On the show, I like to dive into the brains of people and animals, get all gooey and covered in neurons, and explore the most incredible behaviors on the planet. Today we're talking about virtual reality, but ditch those computer goggles and just listen with your brain meats, because we're talking about a more organic, squishy form of virtual reality. What happens when the human or animal brain takes some creative license, or when your own hand rebels against you? Discover this and more as we answer the age-old question, if you call a fish four eyes, is that science or just bullying? So, the brain, human or otherwise, is one of the most intricately complex structures on the planet. The human brain has about 80 billion neurons. For perspective, that's almost as much as Jeff Bezos' net worth. These neurons work together in complex patterns of activation that results in thought, movement, speech, and our conscious experience of the world. That means when something unusual happens to the brain, say a stroke, injury, or lesion, your perception of the world can become warped in unexpected ways. There's an incredibly rare neurological disorder called Anton Babinski syndrome that results from damage to the occipital lobe, a part of the brain near the back of your head, that processes visual information. The damage to the occipital lobe renders the patient cortically blind, meaning that their blindness is a result of brain damage rather than eye problems. But rather than experiencing being blind, people with Anton Babinski syndrome do not experience nor accept that they are blind, despite being unable to identify visual cues or even navigate a room. When confronted about their blindness, people with this neurological condition deny being blind, and when asked to describe what they see, they will confabulate a response. So confabulation is a term that means fabrication, but it's not a lie. The person confabulating really believes what they're saying. Their brain is filling in missing information to the best of their ability. While people with Anton Babinski syndrome do experience the 
the delusion of being sighted, it's not quite what you may think. It's likely not that they're just in denial or refuse to accept reality. Rather, the leading hypothesis is that the damage to their occipital lobe means that while they still receive visual signals from their eyes, their brain is unable to pass this information along to the speech, language, and motor processing areas of the brain. Basically, they can still see. Their eyes are sending messages to their occipital lobes, but they're unable to do anything with that information. So they may consciously understand that they're really seeing things, but their brain can't communicate the information. So in order to fill in this gap, their brains do some improv. Though Anton Babinski's syndrome is rare, this habit of the brain filling in information is something shared by every human and possibly most animals on the planet, as we'll soon discuss. Joining me today is comedian, comic artist, author of Bad Comics by Anna, which actually I think are pretty good, and Toucan fan, Anna Salinas. Hi, it's so good to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining me today. I'm excited. I really like your comics, especially like how you sort of visualize thoughts and the brain and just by these sort of shape, little shapey blobs who have these. They are blobs. Yeah, blobs, but they have discussions with you. And I, I, I love that way of visualizing how our brains work. Thank you. I mean, I it kind of started mostly when I moved in to my own apartment. I live with roommates now. I went backwards. But I lived alone and I was talking to myself and I started drawing, like, I guess the voices in my head. And then, you know, they just all have different personalities. Like, depression would be a sassy bitch, you know? (laughs) Anxiety would be like a really panicky, short little blob. So thank you so much. I feel like you've been doing Inside Out before Inside Out was a thing. Oh, my God. Thank you. They (laughs) took it. I they really did. feel they stole scooped. from you. You got yeah. scooped. No, I, I love that. I, I do sometimes imagine my obsessive compulsive disorder as almost like a cute little watch dog or like a chihuahua that's yes. super not it's not quite a real chihuahua, but just this little blobby creature mm-hmm. that is super anxious and always alert for things and it's just no you you can calm down i'm sure the kitchen isn't on fire we don't need to go check oh <laughs> i love that yeah. i oh my gosh i want to i don't have ocd and i would feel disingenuous if i drew the little person but i have to find do it do it please i got to find a way to do it i want to cuz that's could such a cute could you do a custom one for me and i'll just I describe it could. Like yeah. what it is like to me, and then you could do a little thing. I love that. Oh my I'd god, love to do that. Oh my god, yeah. collab, collab. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think this is a great episode to have you on because I'm talking about all of the interesting things our brains do and how it really, in some ways, we feel like we're one contiguous person with one personality, one conscious experience, but sometimes. That, it's not so clear that that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first, to demonstrate this, uh, I, I want people to realize, like, as we're talking on the show about these rare neurological phenomenons, that people that have these are not weird or crazy. This is something that basically, like, we all have the capacity to fill in missing information with mm-hmm. our brains. And in fact, we do it all the time, constantly. Right now, you're doing it because everyone on Earth has a blind spot in their eyeballs. So mm-hmm. I got to explain how our eyes work really quickly. <laughs> so the eye has a bunch of light sensing proteins in the back, the rods and cones that make up the retina. That's 
that sort of red stuff at the back of your eye. But in order for that information to get to the brain, the occipital lobe at the back of your brain, you have to basically run a cable from your eyeballs to the back of your brain. Mm -hmm. And in order for the cable to connect to your eye, it actually is right in the middle of your retina. So there's an area, a little diameter of area in your eye that doesn't have retina. So it doesn't have the rods and cones. So you actually have a little blind spot right there, Uh but you don't see it. You don't see a blank spot as you're looking around. Mm -hmm. And often it's because the other eye, you, you do have two eyes generally, so you can make up for that missing information with your eye, but not always. Sometimes your blind spot is going to line up with the other eye uh-huh. and your brain is going to fill in the details. So it's like a content aware filler that interpolates what should be there. And it's really, so there's this test you can do. I'm sure if you Google it, I'll probably also include it in the show notes Mm -hmm. uh, where you, there's a dot and a cross or two shapes and a background that's either white or some color. And you close one eye and you look at the opposite, the dot opposite to your eye. And then you kind of move back and forth until the, the other dot across from your eye disappears. I actually have it up here so that you can do it. Okay, cool. So... If you're looking at it, what should happen is uh-huh. that the background color just kind of fills in. Yes. Where And it's it's interesting because it's not just a white spot. If you're looking at the background that's green, it's going to fill in green. And if you're looking at the background that's yellow, it's going to fill in yellow where that cross or that dot is supposed to be. So it just looks like a big yellow square, even though there's a black dot in the middle of it. And that's because your brain is yeah yeah you see it that's yeah it's really it's really interesting and it's kind of fun to do there's all sorts of these tests online that you can do and see uh and it's not just filling in color it can actually fill in complex patterns sometimes if you see if there's a line Uh that's broken in the area where the break is is right in your blind spot your brain will actually fill in the line so it looks like a contiguous line Uh even though there's in reality nothing there because your brain is just guessing like, oh, well, it seems like a big line. So That's so interesting. I feel like that probably is true on a broader scale of how our yes. minds work of like, oh, this is probably what I was doing two weeks ago around noon. Yes, absolutely. And like building maybe kind of false memories a little bit. Absolutely. In fact, I talked about confabulation before, and that mm-hmm. is also a term to describe gaps in memory where we Built like it can range from severe disorders like uh, dementia, but also just to normal mm-hmm. brain functioning where you miss a memory and you you're basically fabricating what should be in that memory, uh-huh. but you don't think it's a fabrication. You right. think it's real. So you can also with the blind spot, what your brain is doing is it's making a statistical determination based on the surrounding visual information. So say if you focus on like a yellow donut Mm -hmm. and you get your blind spot right in the center of that donut, your brain is going to fill in the rest. It's going to look like a yellow circle. There won't Uh be any hole because your brain is going like, okay, everything around it is yellow. So this has to be yellow too. And you can even, it even works on moving patterns like TV snow. So there's a test where you do the whole blind spot thing, but instead it's like, you know, you know that like fuzzy yeah. black and white mm-hmm. TV snow? Static. And people will fill in the static into their blind spot. And then if you quickly look away to a white wall, you'll see a little square of, of TV static on the wall because oh. your brain is so 
basically your brain has so actively tried to plug in this snow and put it in. Once you suddenly remove it, it's still kind of going for a little while. I feel like that is kind of a familiar feeling, too. Yes. That some something yeah. like that just sort of projects onto the... Yeah, it can happen, say you're staring at a bold color for a while, and then yeah. you suddenly look at the wall, you can see an after image because you're basically your eyes and your brain are confused by the sudden lack of... I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Like, like the wheels are just still running. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And so I was curious about how, whether animals have blind spots. And mm -hmm. in fact... They must. Yeah, they do. And as I was researching this, I found some really interesting things about animal vision. So let's start with rats. Uh, they do have a blind spot. Mm -hmm. Their eyes are very similar to ours, except that they have double vision and they can move their eyes independent of each other. Like... What? Yeah, exactly. Like Pennywise from it. Yeah, exactly. So like if there's a predator coming, they could yes. be like, this is over here, mm -hmm. this is here. Exactly. And oh my gosh. So actually, did you know that the actor who plays Pennywise, uh, the, the more recent one, Bill mm -hmm. Skarsgård, he can do that. What? His, like, that's not so an that's effect. real? That's real, yeah. Oh, whoa. Yeah. There's an interview with him where he does the weird smile and he does the, have has one of his eyes kind of go to the side and it's, uh, it's really. That is interesting. He, he doesn't, he like almost doesn't need the makeup. You yeah. can do it all with wow, his facial like expressions. the perfect guy for that. I know, I know. So researchers at the Max Planck Institute for Biological Cybernetics in hmm, Tübingen. So good job, Germany, on doing this research. Uh, <laughs> so they attached teeny tiny high-speed camera hats to rats and looked at their eye gaze. They found that their eye gaze indicates that they prioritize keeping a view of the sky over... Hmm just looking ahead. So they, they have a good view of their immediate surroundings, but they're always at least keeping one eye or both eyes trained on the sky and have ha right. to have the sky in their field of vision, which is assumed to be to avoid predatory birds, which mm -hmm. is one of their main predators. And they determined by tracing their eye movement that their field of vision in either eye differs too much from the other in order to be fused into one image. <gasps> so they have to have binocular vision, basically two distinct views. sort of orbs, uh, yeah, views that they somehow process in their wow. occipital lobe. Yeah. That's so they're constantly living in VR. Exactly. Oh, that sounds <laughs> nauseating. Yeah, it sounds terrible. I, you know, I get terrible motion sickness when I have to do the uh, VR rides where, yes. you know, at Universal and I, I guess Disney is doing that now too. Where yeah. You get on the ride and it's sort of like it's a track ride. So you're actually moving. But then instead of having puppets or animatronics, it's VR. Yep. Or 3D, and I did one of those. So sick. They, Ugh. yeah, because you're, they. If VR is truly the future of media and video games, I don't know I'm what screwed. we're gonna do about that. I'm, screwed. I'm just I'm gonna be, too. I'm just gonna be constantly high on drama. Me, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's you're just in a boat. You're like in a submarine, just yeah. rocking around. Uh, I did a VR. What what's it called? Silent? No, 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 no. Resident Evil. Oh. And it uh, really scared me. It was really funny because I kept yelling at people like, get out of my area. <laughs> <laughs> oh, totally. Because it's it feels so real. Yeah. I went to the arcade here, 2-Bit Circus, I think. Yeah. And did their VR game. And like, it's terrifying because yeah. you look behind you and all of a sudden something's attacking right. you. And you're, you, 
it, you have to like move your yes. hands to yeah. I couldn't, defeat I it. I couldn't right, and I couldn't convince myself it wasn't real. Not it, at all. It, That's terrifying. I would be a very bad animal, I think, because yeah. I hate video games that right. are like. I like video games that are like you just exist in the yes. world, like Sim style. But I hate being chased. Yeah, I hate having to like shoot at something or run from something. Right. I just could not handle predators. Well, you would hate to be, and I don't mean this as an insult, but you would hate to be the brown no- brown snout spook sp- <laughs> <laughs> the brown snout spook fish. Yeah, I, I would hate it. Why would I hate it? Well, so the brown snout spook fish. Whoa, that is a mouthful. Oh my god! They can see up and down at the same time. <sighs> so they are not to be confused with the ghost shark, which we've talked about on the show before. Mm-hmm. But the brown snout spook fish is a species of barrel eye fish that lives all over the world in tropical and temperate regions. It's not too big. It's pretty slender. It's about um, seven inches long, has a completely transparent body. (laughs) They're in the family Opisthoprocididae, which in Greek means behind anus. Whoa. (laughs) That's a whole family of... Okay. They're in the, the family of butt butts. But but <laughs> so one of its larger close relatives is the Pacific barrel eye fish. And there is a video that went viral a while ago of this fish that had a basically a transparent dome like head and mm-hmm. these weird eyes. Let me show you okay. that. Whoa. This feels like a fake fish. It's no, it's completely real. Like, I know it looks like a science fiction fish, right? Yeah, it looks like they put oh my gosh. It looks like they put a light bulb inside of some jello, some clear jello. <laughs> Honestly, this is like a Pixar movie because inside this fish are like the little sea anemones or like the little bacteria that are the star of this animated movie <laughs> riding in their like. Right, inside out. Yeah, like inside out style. But They're horrible. like riding in yeah. a fish bus. Yeah, it is. It is. It also does remind me of those gelatin desserts from the 50s where you just put a whole fruit yes. right in there and Aspic, it's wiggling around i think that's yeah yeah where you put in grapes or, or a ham yes or like olives and eggs and entire and chicken fish. yeah yes <laughs> just it's crazy that was ever a preferred food right why do you want savory inside of jello i don't no. Unless you've been watching videos of this fish a lot. Right. This fish does look pretty delicious. <laughs> so this is the, the spook fish. So this is, no, so this is the barrel, the, 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 the Pacific right. barrel eye fish, right, right, which right. is a relative of the brown snout spook fish. And okay, I'll show okay. you a picture of that one too. So the Pacific barrel eye fish, uh, it, it has a transparent dome-like head and tubular eyes. And the things at the front of its head that kind of look like eyes are actually basically its nose, whereas the eyes are inside that dome and are these two round, cil- rounded cylinders that mm-hmm. look like they're just two telescopes pointing up or a pair of binoculars pointing up. Uh-huh. And that's, in fact, exactly what they are because they're, their eyes pointed straight up to look for silhouettes of food above them. Oh. And then once they've zoomed in on some food, then they can actually swivel those eyes in front of them. They are submarines. They're submarines. These exactly. fish are floating submarines. They're little submarines. I love that. Now, this doesn't happen, but 
because their heads are transparent, it does look like they should be sort of a transportation vessel for some like exactly. tiny, tiny sea people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And they're like inside there right. steering the like, binoculars burn, there. Burn. <laughs> Captain, I see something on the port side. Oh, <laughs> nope. It was just a fart. <laughs> That's exactly what the little sea creatures inside of this fish right. submarine are yes. saying. So it's. Cousin, the brown snout spookfish, mm-hmm. takes this vision a step further. So now here is a picture of this little guy. Okay. He's completely transparent, as you can see. This also looks incredibly fake. It does, doesn't it? It looks Something like... Something about the clear bodies with this neon glow inside yeah. just feels like an art department got really creative. Yeah, it looks like one of the fake animals in Life Aquatic... Remember yeah. that movie? Yes, like they had those exactly. Interesting... That look especially fake. The yeah, like, exactly. Well, because they're, yeah, they're like stop motion that was put into the live action film or something yes. like that. Yes. yes. It looks exactly like that. And it is the only vertebrate that is known to, in addition to an eye lens, employ mm-hmm. a mirror in order to see. So this is something that is used by other animals, just not vertebrates. So scallops use the the mirror technique in order in, to see out of their horrible little eyes. Oh. They have a bunch of eyes, too. I scallops. did not realize scallops yeah. had eyes. They have so many eyes. Whoa. They can have up to like 100 eyes. These little blue eyes. I know. And so the mirror in the eye is thought to be made of guanine crystals. So guanine is a protein. It's found in DNA. Mm -hmm. uh, And it can also be formed into this crystalline mass, basically. Mm -hmm. And so in addition to the normal eye that looks upwards and just functions like a regular mammalian or other vertebrate eye where it's using the lens – uh, the other eye is like kind of jammed onto the side of the eye is this little eyeball annex. Uh-huh. And it has a mirror that can look downwards and reflect it onto the retina. So let me show you this diagram. Okay. It's a little confusing otherwise. So there's just this one eye, uh-huh. basically a normal eye, like it's focused through the lens and hits the retina. And then this weird little annex just like built onto the side of the eye where the light enters and bounces off of the mirror and then hits the retina. So what is the purpose of this eye? It's like a last-minute eye. <laughs> like they, someone was designing this fish in an art department because I'm still not convinced it's real. <laughs> I was just like, ah, just throw this on, make it look creepier. I mean, if you think about it, when you're in the ocean, you not only have to worry about what's in front of you or what's mm-hmm. behind you, you have to worry about what's above you and what's below you. Mm-hmm. So being able to see above, below, and around you is really important. Yeah. So it's actually interesting to me that there aren't more fish that do this. That's true. Because, yeah. yeah, at least if you're on land, the ground yeah. is safe. Unless tremors happens. But, yeah, That's true. essentially it is. Yeah. <laughs> usually. And also, I guess things can, like, burrow up from the ground. But usually that's the one part we're not looking at. Yeah. Which is interesting because I feel like... This is a problem I have, and maybe a lot of people, I look down when I walk a lot. Mm. I'm afraid of stepping in poop, so I do too. Yeah, yeah. Or like if I'm running or something, I feel like I look down, and I I remember this book, The Last of the Really Great Wang Doodles. Did you ever read that? Wang Doodles. Uh-huh. Wang Doodles. It's this children's chapter book about Wang Doodles, this dragon. But the point oh, is- Okay, Wang Doodles, the dragon. Yes. And they- 
one of the lessons is that you should be looking up more I because see. as people we tend to look down and so there's this guy who has like a rainbow umbrella to encourage children to look up. I see. So there's something about looking up that is like maybe more freeing mm-hmm. or something. But then you step in dog, dog then you st- then what do you do? <laughs> so true. That's the thing. Like I, I've, I've tried that where I'm just like gallivanting ahead eyes oh, on the sky especially to do and the then city. put right in the right in the poop oh yeah or yeah. on the sidewalk here yeah because one time this guy was jogging past me and he stomped on a uh, unintentional mistake stepped on a ketchup packet <gasps> splattered all over me and he looked at me and he was completely stunned and then he just kept running <laughs> no <laughs> He kept running well yeah I, I think he uh, just didn't know how to react he was horrified right because it looked like I had just exploded in blood. Oh, but, uh, that's true. Still not. Still probably should have checked on me. But, he you know. should have checked. Exactly. Wow. But, you know, if he was a, a brown snout spookfish, then he could have seen that ketchup You would have seen it coming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's why they did it. So they can see poop and ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> it's important for all fish. <laughs> our brains do a huge amount of heavy lifting when it comes to our vision. There was a rather famous mirror-flipping experiment, though you may have heard the incorrect version. So, in this experiment, people wore glasses that used mirrors to flip the world upside down. Though the popular understanding of the study was that the participants' brains flipped the world right side up, this never really happened. Instead, they rapidly adapted to the upside-down world and regained the ability to walk around without falling over. And though they were spectacularly good at adapting, they never consciously flip the world to the upright position. However, there have been studies where the participants wore goggles that distorted the world, such as weird magnifications or distorting how close things seemed, like a rear view mirror, and the wearers were able to quickly adapt to their new funhouse mirror world. Their brains had to overcompensate so much to make things appear normal while wearing the glasses that when they were removed, they experienced temporary distortions with the naked eye. When we return, we'll talk about what happens when one side of your brain goes rogue. I like food and I like home-cooked meals, but what I don't like is going to the grocery store. I have to change out of my sweatpants and that's just, that's just not fair. With HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit, you can get easy seasonal recipes and pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door. No changing out of your sweatpants necessary. All you gotta do is cook and enjoy. HelloFresh makes cooking easy and delicious. You get new recipes every week, you can try things, and it's got easy step-by-step recipes, pre-measured ingredients, and everything you need to make an incredible meal. From vegetarian to calorie smart and fun menu series, HelloFresh is even flexible and it fits your lifestyle. You can add extra meals to your weekly order, yummy add-ons, and you can skip weeks when you don't need it. I just tried the tilapia with scallion sriracha pesto and it was amazing. And it was a recipe I wouldn't have tried otherwise. To get nine free meals with HelloFresh, you can go to hellofresh.com creature9 and use code creature Creature 9. That's HelloFresh.com slash Creature 9 to start enjoying incredible home-cooked meals. 
Imagine that one of your hands starts to have a mind of its own. It moves around, reaches for things, fiddles with your shirt, all without your conscious input or permission. You'd probably be forgiven for thinking that you'd been possessed by an alien parasite or are in some sort of Dr. Strangelove situation. In fact, this is a real thing called alien hand syndrome or Dr. Strangelove syndrome after the movie. People with this rare neurological disorder feel a loss of control over one of their hands. Those with alien hand syndrome may feel like their hand has a mind of its own, and they may actually be right. Most patients with this condition had a corpus callostomy, a medical procedure also called split brain procedure. It's a neurosurgical procedure wherein the corpus callosum, the neural tissue connecting the two hemispheres of the brain, is severed. It's rarely used anymore and is mostly a last resort to treat dangerous and otherwise untreatable epilepsy. It interrupts the feedback loop between the two hemispheres of the brain, which helps stop seizures, but it can also result in uncomfortable side effects, including alien hand syndrome. By severing the corpus callosum, the communication between the two hemispheres of the brain is greatly inhibited, which may result in people having two separate conscious experiences at once. Alien hand, therefore, may be one side of the brain taking control of the hand, while the other side of the brain expresses discomfort with the situation. It's hard to know exactly what it means to have two half-brains in one person, whether consciousness resides in each hemisphere and has a separate experience, what it feels like to be in conflict with the side of your brain that can control speech, or vice versa. Maybe it makes sense that one of your hands would lash out at the frustrating experience. So this is really, it's one of the most existentially terrifying things to me in mm -hmm. uh, neurology, this idea that especially if you have split brain procedure, which is very rarely done, mm -hmm. especially now, but it's could you have two consciousnesses in one body mm -hmm. and because each hemisphere of your brain controls different things, like controls this different side of your body, speech is located in one hemisphere of the brain, would you have basically two people inside you and struggling mm. to communicate together and one of the people can talk one of the people can maybe uh, draw and it's it's you know I wonder and I wonder if people with multiple personality disorders have ever experienced some version of this yeah I th so there's actually multiple personality disorder is not really what it's called anymore it's called a dissociative identity disorder uh -huh. and it is Interesting because I, I do think that I think that people, even neurotypical people, people don't who don't have a neurological condition will we even though we have the illusion of having a unified consciousness, that mm -hmm. may not actually be the case. That may just be an illusion of Whoa. one contiguous consciousness and that we may have sort of different conscious experiences and maybe some that can't maybe communicate with our speech center of the brain, but still mm -hmm. are somehow consciously aware. Like, so here's an example. Okay. One thing I do, you know, I do the sort of thing of you step into a room and you're like, gosh, darn it, I don't remember what I came in here for. Mm -hmm. And then you, you know, you, you don't know, you forgot what you're there for, basically. Mm -hmm. If I just relax and kind of go into a meditative state and let my body like walk over to where it wants to go, it's usually towards the thing I came in for. And it, like, I'll open a drawer and I'm not really thinking, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. And then it's like, uh -huh. oh, right, a napkin. So there is something in your body that is right. guiding you. Yeah, right. that is kind of similar. 
and also there are these studies that were done for people who had the the corpus callosum severed and had the the split brain condition and so as i kind of talked about you have the right side so one thing to know about vision mm-hmm. and your body is that you have the two hemispheres of the brain but the right hemisphere of the brain is responsible for processing the left field of vision and the left side of the body whereas the left side of the brain processes the right field of vision and the right side of the body. So okay. they're flipped, uh, which can make it a little confusing. Mm-hmm. But basically, when you present someone uh, pictures, like, you know how we did the thing with the blind spot earlier, yeah. and you had one thing in your right field of vision and one in your left, and you present them with two pictures, and these are people who had the split brain procedure done. Okay, so if they see something with their right field of vision, it's going to go be processed in the left side of the brain. And the left side of the brain controls speech. Mm -hmm. And so they'll be able to say what that thing is. But Uh then if they're asked to draw it, they will draw the thing that's in their left (gasps) field of vision. Does that make sense? That makes sense. And not realize, really, because it's... Exactly. And they won't say they see that. That's really crazy. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's. I think it's kind of... It's a little spooky, but I think it, it's spookier when you think about how I, th- I think we're maybe more similar to people who have the split brain syndrome than we may think in that yeah, we're probably absolutely. perceiving things and conscious of things that we don't communicate verbally, mm-hmm. nor maybe even think about consciously, mm-hmm. especially because so much of our conscious thought is sort of framed in language. So if we're it not is. processing it through language, you know, maybe there's part of our conscious experience that we're kind of not aware of. Right. Because we have that internal monologue. Right. Exactly. That's just kind of, at least for me, exactly. just always running its mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Running its <laughs> internal mouth. That's why I, I love your comics because, I mean, I almost feel like when you kind of have warring parts of your brain. Oh, yeah. It's that, I mean, it's almost like you do have two people mm-hmm. that you're talking to, negotiating with. Yeah. And, you know, that's, I mean, it, it makes sense. We have like 80 billion neurons. It would make sense that we're more complex than just like one yeah. little person. <laughs> <laughs> one little person. We're a billion little people. Exactly. Wow. So this is terrifying to you. It's one of the more, I wouldn't say it's terrifying. I think it's and it's more of an existential crisis because mm-hmm. when I think about who I am as a person, I feel like, you know, hey, it's me, Katie. <laughs> but then yeah. when you think about it, it, you know, maybe I'm sharing my body with another consciousness in my brain that doesn't communicate directly to the world and doesn't yeah. communicate directly to what I perceive as my conscious experience because so much of me as I think about it, is probably based in that kind of language that processing language, center. Yeah. yeah. So have you ever had an out-of-body experience? Yeah, actually. So I took a medication for my OCD once, and one of the mm-hmm. side effects was dissociation. So it felt like I was floating above my body. I really did not enjoy that. That was not... It's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. That is terrifying. Yes, it was not fun. And uh, it's also weird that that can be boiled down to a side effect. Yes. Like yeah. that is... Because I would think it's so complex that feeling and it's somewhat existential but that it 
literally well, yeah, is a side effect. I mean, it's something that people, I'm sure people who meditate to get that feeling go through a much more thoughtful process <laughs> and it's probably a lot more. Yes. It's probably not as weird as it is when it's just a medication side effect because for that, it's just like you're suddenly like, whoa. Yeah. Not inside my body right now. That's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. It, it has that anxiety still. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's very strange. I wonder, those to me feel somewhat connected mm-hmm. in that it's like, and it happened, look, maybe I shouldn't say this on a podcast, but it happened to me on drugs. <laughs> You're fine. On recreational on drugs. <laughs> oh, Booker oh. boys. <laughs> oh, God. Where are there all these cops? <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, on mushrooms or something like that. This happened more than once. But in that it is this feeling of like, oh, I'm, I don't. And maybe this is even a little different than what you experienced. But it feels like. I don't know this person right now. Interesting. There is like a like an unconscious familiarity and and I think that has a lot to do with language mm-hmm. that you feel in your body when you are not thinking about your existence yeah. or whatever. And I feel in those moments that I was like accessing something else. Interesting. Some yeah. other experience. Yeah. I mean, I've I've heard that a lot with people who have either um felt that through recreational drugs or from uh, prescribed drugs. And for me, it was a little different. I think it it mostly just felt like I was watching myself act. Mm -hmm. And it it wasn't scary. It was just unpleasant because it was like I just felt like I was maybe two feet away watching myself. And it was like, huh, weird. That's scary. It's it's just it was uncomfortable. It wasn't scary. Uh I was just... Just kind of uncomfortable. It was like, mm, I'd rather be catch In up the to body. My, I kind of want to catch up to myself there. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of this kind of experience, I want to talk about asomatognosia, which is a rare neurological disorder wherein you don't feel like you own one of your limbs. And mm-hmm. so this could mean you either can't feel, sense, recognize, or be conscious of a body part. Mm-hmm. It's usually caused by damage to the brain, either by traumatic injury, illness, or a stroke. Typically, the damage is in the right side of the brain, which causes patients to lose recognition of their left arm. Like, specifically, that pattern is the most common. Interesting. And sometimes the arm is also paralyzed, which would contribute to the illusion, but it's not Typical of it's not like a typical thing that happens to people with paralysis. Nor is paralysis necessary to be part of asomatognosia disorder. So, wow. somatoparaphrenia is a form of asomatognosia wherein the patient believes their appendage belongs to someone else. Uh, so, here's an example. In one case study, a woman thought her left arm was her dead husband's arm. Here's a quote. She said, quote, he left them. He didn't want them. He just left them like he and she's talking about uh, her arm and hand. Mm -hmm. He left them like he left his clothes up until the other day. They used to fall on my chest. I said, I got to get rid of them, put them in the garbage. Yes. Two days ago, still in the garbage, a black hand with a plastic cover. You'll find them. Be careful, though. The nails are very long and very sharp, which sound it. I mean, did she cut off her own arm? No, no. Um, this is confabulation. This is, uh, she is interpreting information that her brain is missing. And it's, you know, she's not, I don't want people to come away from this thing like, oh man, she's, she's crazy. Like, no, she's, she's, she is, she thinks this is, 
This is a very specific Real. delusion to her somatoparaphrenia. So mm-hmm. basically, she has an inexplicable sensation, which is that the arm attached to her isn't her own. So in order to understand it, her brain confabulates a response. It's mm-hmm fabricating a situation in which this makes sense. And then she's connecting it to a traumatic experience of the loss of her husband. So Mm -hmm. in a way, it's rational because you're dealing with an irrational situation where you are not getting and it's not just like that your arm is numb you're literally because like even your arm being numb or paralyzed you're getting information you're getting like null information right uh that you can't feel it or that you can't move it it's when you're not getting information at all Hmm. which does that it's almost hard to understand what that would feel like yeah it is hard to understand what that feel like what that feels like because numbness is itself a feeling. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. I this is so interesting. I'm watching the show Legion on FX and this, oh, yeah. they literally talk about this oh, really? in I think the second episode they or maybe the me. first one of this season. <laughs> yeah. Of course in that case as they're describing this condition, the guy does cut it's his leg and he oh, cuts really? it off. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do know that can be there is um there are cases of people who feel the need to remove, to remove a it. limb. Yeah. I I don't know as much about that. I, I, I think it may be connected or a similar somehow that to this. feels um conceivable. Yeah. Like in the same way that if I have like dust on me or dirt. It's like, oh, I want to get this off. Right. Or like if you suddenly just sprouted an extra arm that yeah. like you didn't have control over, it would feel like a parasite. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, God. Or I mean, this is such a lame example, but like when you get a pimple, that's really bad. And it's like, I just want to get this <laughs> you just off. just want to get it rid, rid of it. It's yeah. like Ugh. it's invading your body. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally understand that. One of the theories for how this happens is that when you have, so this is specifically for like, you feel like your left arm doesn't belong to you, mm-hmm. right? If you have a right brain lesion or damage resulting in airs processing information from, again, it's flipped. So you're processing information from your left side of the body, mm-hmm. goes into your right brain. So basically you have a lesion in the right side of your brain, which causes a loss of information coming from the left side of your body. Mm-hmm. And so the verbal hemisphere of your brain, which is on the left, isn't receiving the right, uh, isn't receiving information from the right side of the brain about what's going on. So it's like your left side of the brain is undamaged, but the right side is damaged and your right side is unable to send that that information about your left arm to your left brain. This is, I know this is confusing. Let me I think I can kind of. Yeah, let me put it, let me like remove the the left right side yeah. from it because I think that can be kind of confusing. Uh, your, inf- your right, the, the brain information from your left hand is not going to your, um, your verbal processing, motor processing mm-hmm. area of the brain. Mm-hmm. So it's similar to what we talked about with the cortical blindness, the disorder where you you're blind, you're functionally blind, but you're experiencing, mm-hmm. you think you can see because you're, re- you actually may be receiving visual information. It's just not going anywhere mm-hmm. useful in your brain. So it's it's a similar thing where you, but in this case, you're just not receiving any information from your left hand and your, le- your left side. And so you're, your brain is like, well, there's nothing, there is right. no, it's so no. So you could be touching fur right. and it wouldn't. No, and it's different. 
from paralysis or numbness because your brain, it's just not getting, it's getting zero information. It's not that it's, oh, it's numb or I'm not feeling it. It's like there, there's an absence of that, even recognizing yeah. that as being part of your body because the part of your brain that even recognizes that you have this limb is has been damaged. That's staggering. Yes. Because now I'm thinking of the times I've like been numbed for like right. surgery or something like that. And you still feel this like... Lump. You, you can... Yeah, you can fathom what is going on. Yeah. But it's also interesting when you do get numbed up and you feel something. It feels like there's something stuck on your face. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't Like doesn't it's not really, a part of you Right. Completely. So there is a little bit of a thing where you're like, oh, that's weird. It just doesn't feel like it's part of me. But yeah. like that. But my well, brain knows. Your brain can, you, yeah, you yeah. can. But the, if it can kind of get the idea across that, mm-hmm. okay, you still have the part of your brain that logs that in as part of your face. So yeah. But if that part of your brain was like just gone or damaged, then you suddenly lose even the ability to conceive of that as being part of your body. We're hanging by a thread. <laughs> as humans, we are hanging by a thread. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, it is crazy, but we're not we're not the only ones, so we're not alone <laughs> in the world. So, phantom limb and these limb processing disorders are also found in animals. Mm-hmm. So, there's evidence that. Animals can get phantom limb syndrome, which is a similar disorder, although kind of inversed from what I was just talking about. So phantom limb is where you are you're missing you right. are actually in reality missing a limb. Either mm-hmm. you've had an amputation or even a congenital condition where you don't have that limb. But your brain still has the the area of the brain that is saying, like, hey, I got a left arm is right. still there and it's still perfectly mm-hmm. functional. So you sense that the limb is still there. Sometimes it gets stuck in weird positions, like it can feel like it's clenched or raised or, you know, doing mm-hmm. a phantom gesture. Um, and it can be really distressing for people because it can actually cause real pain. It's not – and I think this is something that's important to get across. Pain is experienced inside of the brain. You may have nerves on your body where pain sensory input is received, but it travels into your brain and the experience of pain happens in your brain. Mm. So if someone is feeling pain from a phantom limb, that is exactly the same experience as if they're getting stabbed in a real limb. So Oof. famed neurologist V.S. Ramachandran is the inventor of mirror therapy and specializes in, I mean, he, he's a, it's almost weird to say he specializes in anything because he's like a genius who knows everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> but he's studied phantom limb. And basically, you place your existing limb in front of the mirror and your phantom limb on the other side. So you've got your, your hand that still exists. And then you imagine placing your your other hand on the other side. But you're the, the amputated area or the missing limb is not in view. And so then you just do symmetrical actions like clapping or raising both hands and you imagine doing it and you look and it looks because of the symmetry of the mirror, it looks like you your two hands are doing it. Uh And that can help you because you're getting that visual feedback, your brain is seeing like, okay, I'm stretching out my arm. And so if it felt like your left hand was clenched in this uncomfortable position and you see it stretching out, it actually kind of um, convinces your brain that your arm is stretching out and it relaxes it. And That's it can, fascinating. Yeah, and it can help with treatment of pain. 
Rama Chandran believes that this is caused by reorganization in the somatosensory cortex or the part of the brain that handles sensory inputs from your body. So it's this idea is actually leads into our next question, which is can animals get phantom limb? And in fact, the hypothesis that phantom limb syndrome is caused by reorganization of neurons in the somatosensory cortex, the, the part of your brain that controls your arms and controls the feelings of your arms and your arms in space right. is has some neuroplasticity, it has to rearrange and compensate for the fact that you no longer have uh, that limb. There's been a study done on macaques, which, so that's a type of monkey, where mm-hmm. their somatosensory cortex was found that to have undergone restructuring after losing sensory information from one of their limbs. So in 1991, there was a neurologist that made use of a pretty infamous and crappy situation. So this is sort of a sad, it begins with a sad story. So the about a decade before they did this study, there was another study on the infamous silver spring monkeys uh, who had their nerves to one of their arms cut in an experiment. And it was, so this person who was like undercover PETA, like was in the lab and reported it to the police because it it was not, it was like the experiments itself was like unnecessarily cruel. The living conditions were Mm -hmm. poor. So yeah, it was real. I mean, you know, the, the idea of using, animals and experiments is there's some complexity to it but in this case it was like very clearly unnecessarily cruel right veterinarians looked at these monkeys and they tried to rehabilitate them but they determined that they were just suffering and so euthanizing them was the most um merciful thing to oh, do oh no i know but Jeez. so a neurologist was like well okay if we're if we have to euthanize them maybe we can learn something from their brains at least mm-hmm. so the researchers found that their somatosensory cortexes, so the cortex that control like processes information from your your uh-huh. limbs and your body, changed significantly compared to control monkeys. So that indicated the neuroplasticity, the brain changing in response to their limb being essentially like the nerves had all been severed from Ugh. the rest of their body. So, so they have it too. So they they had yeah phantom limb probably. And brain scans of people with amputations showed the same kind of brain reorganization as these macaques. So the, yeah, basically, as far as we can tell, we can obviously never understand how the monkeys felt, but mm-hmm. very likely that they had phantom limb, yeah. Wow. You can actually just observe phantom limb in animals. So there's a video of a cat with an amputated limb uh, who tries to dig in his litter box. And this is equal parts Aww. cute and sad. <laughs> so, of course, I got to show you. I mean, that is a cute cat, though. That's a cute so cat. So you can see real fluffy little guy, and she's trying to... Aww. You can see her moving her shoulder muscles as she's trying to, to scratch at the litter box. Now, yeah, I, I know it feels like a really sad video, but she's probably perfectly happy. I mean, look at her. She's yeah chubby, perfectly happy. She's just kind of doesn't necessarily recognize that her her forelimb is missing. She's adapting to it. She's exactly. getting in that litter box. Exactly. It's just a sadder visual. I think that's I know. true of animals with like a limb missing. They are capable of Yeah. I I mean happiness. I think that I think sometimes our pity is a little bit misplaced there. Yeah. I mean obviously I think it's good to feel sympathy and empathy for an animal 
that is suffering. But I think it's there's almost a little bit of condescension sometimes where it's yeah. like, oh, this animal can't be happy. And I'm sure that's kind of aggravating to people also with disabilities. That's what I was like, going to say. I think it ext- that pity, that maybe overcompensating right. pity extends to people with disabilities. Because yeah. I feel it. And, yeah. and I feel a little dirty about it when helping someone with the door when yeah. it's like, uh, I think you can always, yeah. I mean, I'm not, it's hard for me to speak to this because I don't have a physical disability, but I think it's fine to ask if someone needs help with something mm-hmm. as long as you're doing it in a respectful way yeah. and not assuming that they can't do it, but just like trying to be a nice person. Right. Like, I mean, you, you know, I hold doors for people all the time. Like, yeah. And I, I think just recognizing that it doesn't, you know, they're not, they're not less capable as a person. They're just, they, you know, yeah. they have a different experience and with life and they may have some extra physical challenges, but it, that doesn't make them like, that doesn't mean they're unhappy exactly. or, or, yeah. uh, or infantilized or in any way. Yeah. yeah. So this, all this talk of phantom limb makes me think about, this is just kind of a thought experiment, Mm -hmm. uh, because as far as I know, the research isn't there yet, but there's a behavior known as autotomy. So it's like a lizard abandoning its tail. Sometimes crabs will pull off their own forelimbs to kind of, as a way to, when they feel they're losing a fight with a predator, they'll do that so the predator has a nice claw to chew on while the rest of the crab escapes, and eventually the crab can regrow it. And I wonder if they feel phantom limb, and if so, what that experience is like as the new limb grows back in, because that's something we can, as humans, we can basically never... No, we don't have that. Right. But we do know that prosthetics can help with phantom limb, especially if you can move the prosthetic. So yeah, I just, it's so interesting to me, this idea that like in between growing back the limb, like could a crab or a lizard feel phantom limb in the meantime? Feel its pincers when it just right. has a little baby right. and then, uh, claw. Exactly. And then mm-hmm. what, what that experience is like as the new limb is growing back in. Yeah. I don't. I mean, they must feel phantom limb. Yeah. Right? Everything kind of adds up to if you are a lizard who loses its tail, you feel you have to. Yeah, and then what is obviously lizards and crabs are a great deal less complicated than yeah. humans. So it's hard to know what that is like. You know, crabs are basically like glorified insects of the sea. They so, really are. And lizards are a little more complex, but they're still pretty pretty simple, but what you know, I, I still think they are in a way conscious. I just don't know what that any like what that would be like and I, but I'm sure they they probably get phantom sensations. I bet that happens. They must. Yeah. And, and they do feel pain, lizards and crabs, when they lose these limbs, even though they're regenerative? I believe so. I mean, I, I think that there are nerves in there must the area. Be. Yeah. Right. So I'm not sure how their brain interprets that pain. It's hard to Apparently know. Apparently not enough that they <laughs> don't do it. Right. Yeah, that is interesting. I wonder if there's some way to compensate for the pain of a yeah. limb popping off. I, you know. I I guess we have that to a degree where it's like, in order to get out of this situation, I'm going to need to. It's like getting waxed. Yeah, <laughs> that is exactly what it's like. So lizards and crabs just have that pain relationship where they can get a bikini wax. Right, by ripping, to. yanking off their whole tail. That is that is actually, I'm like. And throwing it at their predator. I, I tweeze eyebrows. Yeah. I tweeze my eyebrows. That's. 
I know the pain is coming. Yeah, but you do it anyways. I mean, I think that's going to be my new strategy for predators is like just wax a big big chunk of yeah. hair and then throw it at them <laughs> and then run away. And run away. They'll be so like smooth flummoxed. aerodynamic legs. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Man, yeah. Oh, my legs. <laughs> there would be a lot, a lot to take. <laughs> As we've previously discussed, phantom limb syndrome can be treated by mirror therapy. There's some new research on this form of treatment. Neuroimaging has shown that mirror therapy indeed helps reshape the brain's somatosensory cortex. Patients with phantom limb syndrome had their brains scanned before treatment and showed hyperactivity in the somatosensory cortex when shown pictures of limbs corresponding to what they'd had amputated, as compared to controls. After treatment, this excess brain activity decreased, indicating that in addition to the patient's self-reported decrease in pain in their phantom limb, their somatosensory cortex was restructuring itself to have a calmer response to the amputated limb. Mirror therapy has pretty incredible results for humans, but could it work for animals? It depends on whether animals can understand mirrors. Unlike humans, animals don't necessarily have the same meta-awareness or sense of self that we do, though there's some evidence to suggest that some primates, dolphins, and elephants may be closer to this self-awareness than previously thought. Chimpanzees and orangutans, elephants, killer whales, and dolphins have all shown a capacity for recognizing their image in a mirror by moving their hands, trunks, or bodies around to inspect marks on their faces, showing an understanding that this image is of themselves. Maybe a new mirror test could be done for the benefit of animals in the future, seeing if animals with amputations respond to mirror therapy in the same way that humans do. Because I swear to God, if I have to see another sad video of a kitty trying to scoop litter with her phantom limb, I'm going to start crying. So scientists, you better get on this. When we return, we'll talk about facial recognition. Like, could you guys still recognize me after I ugly cry over kitties in litter boxes? Sometimes I want to research the show and go to the gym at the same time. That's why I love Audible. Right now, I'm listening to David Attenborough's Life on Earth. I get to listen to his wonderful voice narrating his own book while learning about the animals of the world. You can give yourself the gift of an Audible membership. Now is the best time to do it with a special offer of 53% off your first three months. Access an unbeatable selection of audiobooks, including bestsellers, motivation, mysteries, thrillers, memoirs, you can even get evolutionary biology books like I do. You can choose three titles every month, one audiobook and two exclusive Audible originals you can't hear anywhere else. Listen on any device, anytime, anywhere with the Audible app. With Audible, you can also enjoy easy audiobook exchanges. In your own audiobook library, you keep forever, even if you cancel. Right now, for a limited time, you can get three months of Audible for just $6.95 a month. That's more than half off the regular price. Choose one audio book and two audible originals absolutely free visit audible.com slash creature or text creature to 500500 that's audible.com slash creature or text creature to 500500 
typically humans are great at recognizing faces. We even have a whole area of the brain that specializes in faces, the fusiform gyrus. But if something unusual happens to the fusiform gyrus, the results are pretty trippy. A patient with epilepsy worked with a Stanford neurologist not just to treat his epilepsy, but to do a little experiment. The neurologist decided that to treat his patient's epilepsy, he could locate the specific part of the brain responsible for the epilepsy and surgically remove just that little chunk. In order to locate it, he used electrodes to stimulate the brain to trigger the seizure in a safe clinical environment and to locate the culprit area. But heck, while they were in there poking around, the neurologist and his completely conscious patient decided to see what happens if, say, you poke the fusiform gyrus with an electrode. When they did this, the patient told his neurologist, quote, you just turned into somebody else. Your whole face just sort of metamorphized. In fact, if the fusiform gyrus is damaged, this can result in a condition known as prosopagnosia, or face blindness. Those with prosopagnosia are unable to recognize familiar faces, sometimes even including their own. But are humans the only ones with such a fine-tuned ability to recognize faces? Heck no! I mean, come on, we're on Kuchu Feature. You know, this is tripping me out mm-hmm. really hard, because the idea that you have a face in front of you that you don't recognize Like, even those disassociative moments or those out-of-body experiences, I at least had a sense of who that face was. But to not recognize the face in front of you is crazy. Have you ever stared in a mirror for, like, a really long time? Yes. And you start to feel weird that you don't see yourself anymore? Yeah, where you start, like, moving around your face in weird ways and just, like, stare and you're like, oh, yeah, this is weird. This is this is just a skin mask. Yeah, here's a fun experiment. Uh, <laughs> if you go into a bathroom, preferably in the middle of the night, and with low light, so you want it pretty dark, but mm-hmm. you can just see a little bit and look in the mirror, you will start to morph. Your features will get weird. Uh, you may even feel like, oh man, my face is turning into a ghost or a demon because you're getting such little information from your mm-hmm. face. You're interpolating the rest of the information. So you see all sorts of weird changes changes Whoa. in your face. In fact, that's like one of the, my feeling of like what the Bloody Mary thing is where you look in the mirror and say Bloody Mary three times. Uh, it's usually at the middle of the night where you're not getting a lot of uh, light. So then yeah. you're, you're basically, that's why you see the, the demon in the mirror. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's why like young girls do it because your yeah, face. Exactly. Yeah. Because it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's a good time. You get scared and pee yourself and everyone <laughs>, laughs at you. Fun. Fun slumber party things. Yeah. We we used to do it. Oh, it was so tempting to believe in magic too. Yeah. Like I still do enough. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. I, I, when I was a kid, I, I would really try to summon Bloody Mary. And then I would also really try to like go through the mirror to, to Alice in Wonderland. Places. Oh, that is yeah. the coolest. Yeah. If so I spent only. a lot of time like staring in the mirror, like going like, if I stare hard enough. Yes. And then that's how I discovered that if you stare too long, <laughs> then you start to lose your sense of identity. And get a little freaked out. Exactly. Well, too bad I'm not a horse. That's a segue into this. <laughs> so horses will judge you based on your facial expression, which is pretty astounding because I don't know if you've noticed, but horses and humans don't share a lot in terms of facial structure. Not at all. Yeah. So horses will judge you. 
Good news, huh? So they will judge you as in if you're If you have an angry face, they will judge you for it. So researchers showed horses pictures of angry or happy faces of humans. Then they introduced the real humans to the horses and the humans were the people were told to have a neutral expression in front mm-hmm. of the horse, which is seems really hard for me because if I'm like faced with a horse that I don't know what their impression of me was, because like the the participants, part of the way the experiment works so that they wouldn't be biased towards the horses, they didn't know whether the horses had seen their right. happy picture or their angry picture. So they have to go face the horse mm-hmm. with the neutral expression. Oh my God. And like, <laughs> I don't know how they did it. Uh, I would just be so nervous. Like, I hope you saw the nice picture of me, Mr. Horse. Yeah, and then I would think a horse can pick up on that nervousness. Probably. But so the horses ended up responding more positively to the people where they had seen a happy face Mm -hmm. and more negatively to the angry-faced humans that they'd been primed before seeing the, the neutral person. So you know, mm-hmm. they, they see the person, they look totally neutral, but they remembered that picture and they had the, the stink eyes. And so they're like, you had, you looked angry. That's I remember that. That's crazy. Because yeah. I would have thought, because I know that horses can pick up on your emotions. Because they say that, you know, when you're like learning to horseback ride or whatever, that you have to be like calm with the horse and they pick up on mm-hmm. whatever you're feeling. But I always assumed that that was just like your heart rate. And yeah. like just your general demeanor, but that is literally your face. Yes, yes. How? <laughs> well, I, I don't know if they've gone into how they're able to do yeah. it, but I would assume it's got to be learned because it an has to be angry human doesn't yeah. really look just... <laughs> anything like an angry horse. You know, so I think they have to make an association with an angry face. Yes. And that would be these my are domesticated I don't, horses. Right. I don't know. I mean, it could be something that after, you know, hundreds of thousands of years of domestication that has become ingrained in them. Right. Kind of like, like dogs. Like dogs. Exactly. Yeah. Dogs can see faces. They can see emotions and they focus on the side mm-hmm. of our faces that are more expressive. So it could be that they've learned, you know, sort of through, you know, selection for the more compatible dogs and the compatible horses to, yes, to sort that of is communicate so interesting. with humans. Yeah. Or it could be completely learned. It's hard to know. Yeah. So, or a com- combination of the two, which is often often the case. So mm-hmm. the way the researchers could tell the horses weren't jazzed about meeting the humans that they had seen angry pictures are, uh-huh. they, they have certain behaviors that indicate anxiety. So like scratching and chewing behaviors, which indicates they're stressed out. But also they wanted a more a non-subjective measure. So they can see how the horses feel about something by gaze bias. So basically, here's another, this is going to be another confusing thing where it's like left, right side Uh of the brain. But basically, so horses process threatening stimuli in the right hemisphere of the brains. Mm -hmm. So guess where they would look, which region of their gaze they would look to process. Is that left? Yes, exactly. So to process. If if I leave here learning anything, (laughs) it's that it side of your Criss-cross brain crisscross applesauce yeah yes. gaze is flipped <laughs> so if they are trying to process something threatening they'll mm-hmm. look with their left gaze mm-hmm. and if it's something um, more pro-social something positive they have a right gaze bias and then they measured the eye gaze and they indeed found that they had a left gaze bias that means they're looking for stink face 
uh, towards the people where they had been primed with the angry face versus mm-hmm. right gaze. So basically, they knew they're like, okay, this person I remember they had a stink face, they had an angry face. So I'm I'm check I'm alert. I'm worried they're gonna try something. Wow, I'm even amazed that they can remember a human face. Yeah, that easily. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of animals can. We know that. Uh, birds can do that. Corvids, crows can remember human faces. Wow. Uh, yeah, it, it's uh, pretty interesting. And also animals can make faces specifically for humans. So dogs have facial expressions I knew that it. they have made for humans. I feel crazy, but you're not crazy. When my mom's dog, who's so cute, <laughs> is trying to get like your sympathy because mm-hmm. she's just peed inside. Yep, she's she, got a face she, that she does. Well, science is confirming that you are correct. So dogs will make expressions specifically when you're watching them. Mm-hmm. They're more likely to raise their eyebrows and stick out their tongues when someone is watching them. And they're also more likely to show just a, more, a larger range of facial expressions in general when human eye gaze what is What little them. hams. I know. And I, I this has confirmed what I've long believed about my dog, which is she... When she sees me looking at her, she pulls a really cute face so yes. that I come over and pet her. I think she's learned she's learned what faces work the best yeah. to get me to go scratch her tummy. And she knows what noises are cute. So she she's just playing me like a fiddle. She's playing you like a fiddle. Yep. Man, dogs are so socially smart. They're little manipulators, they if you are. ask me. Yeah. I mean, I guess it comes from the territory. If you are raised to just be cuddled and mm-hmm. pet and like cooed at. Yeah. That would feel good. I would court it too. But even really simple creatures mm-hmm. like wasps can recognize each other's faces. Whoa. So, yeah, it's, I mean, I don't think there's any evidence they can recognize human faces, yeah. but they, they can recognize each other's faces and change their responses to each other based on whether they recognize someone or mm-hmm. don't recognize someone. So, yeah, it's really interesting. So that it's not you, even like a, like I would think with wasps, it would be a smell or something. Right. Like a pheromone signal. Exactly. But no, they, they can, they have some pretty complex visual processing for such a tiny brain. <laughs> Whenever I and learn so, how smart and social animals are i'm just like hit with a wave of sadness about how much we're hurting animals just as a society and the sort of guilt of like oh yeah they they're pretty yeah pretty smart yeah no i feel that too and no offense to anyone who eats meat but i always come back to like oh pigs are like dogs those poor pigs yeah yeah no i i mean i'm full disclosure i'm not a vegetarian but Pork is the one thing that I really can't. It's like I, I really struggle with because of how smart pigs are. Yeah, how, and, and how social. Yeah, and I sort of I've tried. Even though I'm not vegetarian, mm-hmm. I've massively cut down on my meat for you know environmental and ethical purposes. But right. Obviously, I'm biased because it's what I'm doing. But <laughs> I, I think it's like fine to do whatever you oh, can yeah. do. But yeah, I. I I ate a lot of fish because I'm not, I just don't, I love fish. And I am I actually, the same way. I keep an aquarium. I love fish, but I'm also like, they know, they, they don't, feel don't know pain what, well, they the do feel pain. Way. Oh no. But they, if you at least kill them humanely, they don't, won't know what hit, hit them. Not yeah. that fishing necessarily. And something does hit them. Yeah. Something I've gone does fishing hit, yeah. with my grandma and she took the stone, which smacked I smacked it. Yeah. That's, that's how I moralize it. 
with myself because I don't eat meat, but I eat fish. Because I used to go fishing with my grandma in Sweden. And, you know, we'd have to kill the fish. She, it just felt so barbaric. She would take the stone mm-hmm. that she used spe- specifically fish killing stone. for killing fish, yeah. and it would be bloody, dried with blood. Oh, and no. she'd smash it, and it would be there wiggling. And I was like, if I can face this, <laughs> I can eat it. I learned that the best way to do it, uh-huh. the, the least cruel way, is to hit it on the head, stun it, and then you immediately cut its main artery. Then you cut it, yes. Yeah, so that it, you're, you don't want to just throw it on a pile of ice and let it slowly die. That's like right. the worst thing to do. You want to make it quick. Um, but yeah. That's wow, that's sad. what she did. Yeah, it yeah, seemed that's crazy. It's great that but... your grandma did it that way. No, no, that is, it feels barbaric, but if you're going to eat a fish, you got to have, you got to have the, you know, courage to actually kill it quickly. Otherwise, you're just letting it Exactly. So pareidolia is a sort of brain thing that happens. It's the habit of misinterpreting information, like seeing shapes in clouds or hearing hidden messages in music, or like when you see faces in ran- random patterns, like pattern textures or tree leaves or like on the carpet or right. clouds. clouds. Yeah, you, you see like a face. And it's like, whoa, that mm-hmm. looks exactly like a face. That's pareidolia. Okay. So that's just because we're so highly attuned to recognizing facial patterns. Sometimes our brains are too sensitive and we just pick up on a face when it's not really a face, but it's hitting all of the proportions of like, <laughs> of like, okay, this is where the nose is, that's where the eyes mm-hmm. are. And so it registers as a face. But Poyanian mimicry is when nature does this on purpose. So Flowers will sometimes mimic the female of an insect species so that the insect tries mating with it, pollinating it unwittingly. And this is a really sneaky trick. It's often done by orchids. And this is a way for the flower to not have to invest in nectar. So one way that a lot of flowers get pollinators interested is nectar, fragrances, things like that. But if you can seduce it, then you don't actually have to invest in nectar because that's a lot of sugars involved in nectar, and that's a high cost. Um, So here's the hammer orchid that it's maybe not as clear as a human sometimes to see these, but that little black spot is supposed to be a specific species of wasp that is black and fuzzy. Yeah. And so the the males will be fooled and will try to mate with it. And actually, what's interesting is you don't see flowers are sleaze bags. They really Jeez. are. It's called consent flowers. <laughs> try to get it. It's like lying on their Tinder profile. Yeah, like yeah, I'm a wasp. Yeah, sure. I'm not. I'm on not their, an orchid. On their tendril profile. Get it? <laughs> plant Aww. plant joke. Here's a um. Here's a bee orchid where you uh-huh. can see. That really clearly because you can oh, see that, the antenna. That looks like wings. wings. Yeah, looks like a bee. Yeah, and this is not an example of the. Um, I wonder of, how bugs, I should say insects, mm-hmm. feel when they do this. Like they've just duped. yeah, they've just mated with a flower. Is it like a little disappointing, I, or do they get their yayas out? I have no idea. I hope it's good for them, too. I hope so, yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's like a sex doll or something. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, woo, we're both getting something out of this. So this is actually not an example of of the the sexual mimicry, but this is just super cool. This Uh is called a monkey orchid, and I don't know why it looks exactly like a monkey face, but it looks exactly like a monkey face. That 
is a monkey. It looks exactly like a monkey. And it's, I don't know why it, it looks like, and probably there's no reason for it to look this way. It's just coincidence. That feels crazy. That feels so nail on the head. Yeah, though, doesn't it look... It, like it, I'm looking at the Lion King, right. Rafiki. Yes. That is that exact face. Yeah, it's probably just coincidence and a little mix of the pareidolia where we're looking mm-hmm. for the face, but... It's uncanny. It I don't. Is. I don't know that. Sometimes when I see things like that, I'm like, we're living in a simulation, and someone yeah. got lazy and copied some code over the to same, this flower. The same. Yeah. The same code that made certain <laughs> monkey faces made that right. flower. They so, copy pasted. Yeah. yeah. So the habit of these orchids to lure in the insects and that. Mm-hmm. That fake sex is called pseudocopulation. And there is an Australian orchid called Cryptostylus, which, uh, and there's a study to found that there is actually a pretty bad cost for the insects that get tricked because oh. they waste large amounts of sperm <laughs> by, um, hmm. you know, ejaculating onto the flower. Not to get nasty, but this Do is Do they science. have like a certain amount in them? I wonder. I wonder if it's like, it's, I don't okay, think little it's a, bug, you well, only get yeah. six and then you're done. You <laughs> then you die. Six. Yeah, I do think that there is a certain limit to mm-hmm. how much they have or can produce. And it certainly does come at a cost for them because that is a lot of protein. That's their purpose. So, yeah, that is yeah. their purpose. Yeah, they don't want to waste it. And so here's a picture of it. I just hope it. it feels good for right. them, you know. So here's a picture of it. And you can they definitely look like wasps to me are is there a wasp in there no there's no wasp yeah this is just the little thingies yes okay yeah it looks like bugs (laughs) it looks like bugs i'm probably bastardizing the word bugs bugs. (laughs) looks like bugs um and then so there's also the inverse of this which is when insects imitate plants which Mm -hmm. happens often in crypsis like you have uh, leaf imitating uh, insects. You've seen stick bugs mm-hmm. or the stick insects. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, now you've got me saying bugs. <laughs> <laughs> bugs but is just such a cute word. It is a cute word. And one of the coolest things that I've seen are the predators that imitate flowers. So mm-hmm. here's a crab spider imitating a flower. And Whoa. it's beautiful. It's this shiny white with little some little detail, and it looks like a pretty flower. It is beautiful. So that's the color they are. They're that glowy yes. white all the time. Yes. What a beautiful spider. They are beautiful. And then here, this is one of the most spectacular examples, is the orchid mantis, and it is absolutely gorgeous. Whoa. It's pink and white with a little bit of green. That's an orchid. It looks exactly like an orchid. These are beautiful. Because it has the pink just like dusted. Yes. Like an orchid would, just kind of. Yeah. Like. It's frilly. Like watercolors. It's frilly. And it's it's frilly. It's beautiful. And it has, it looks like petals. It has sort of the the yellow and green mm-hmm. towards the base of its abdomen that looks like, you know, when you look inside an orchid and it has that kind of ombre from pink to yellow and green. Yes, it exactly. Looks, the attention to detail nature, is incredible. you crazy. <laughs> That's what I should call this show. Yeah, nature, nature you, crazy. you crazy. Yes, yes. It is really the bottom line of each lesson I have learned on yeah. this show with you. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> nature, whoa, slow down. Slow the heck. Could you just calm down for once, nature? Just yeah, com- just calm down. Just chill. Just chill for a so second. So 
I gotta ask mm-hmm. these orchid spiders and mantis, yes, and mantis. They look like orchids. Is like how do you trick an orchid? No, they're do, not tricking an orchid. They're tricking potential prey. They're t- tricking predators. Yeah, okay, prey, I see. prey. Because or, these are right. predators. Oh, they're tricking so, prey, right? Right. So the prey maybe approaches them because they think they're a flower, or they just at least don't yeah. suspect them. And so it's just imagine you're you're kind of walking through the forest right. and you see a beautiful flower and you go down to smell it and then it just starts to eat you. And it starts eating you. <laughs> you know, there are uglier things to be eaten by. That is true. Yeah, I can't really argue with that. It's a beautiful spider. I am slightly terrified of spiders. Mm. I mean, of of all the creatures, probably roaches the most. I think. You know what? I actually agree with you on roaches. I disagree on spiders. I'm not really that grossed out or scared of spiders, but roaches, mm-hmm. I have, I think, a negative association with because they are filth. It's that they're so greasy. Mm-hmm. They're literally fatty yeah, in terms fatty. of like, and I'm not saying like in terms of weight. It's like they have these fatty excretions yeah. all over their body, which is like is gross. And they feel like <laughs> less important. They're buttery. Oh, oh God. That's going right? to haunt my dreams. I'm sorry. Roaches are buttery. <laughs> uh, but at least a spider, I'm like, I know we need spiders. Yes. They're the good guys. It's like Charlotte's Web. The spider was a sweet little lady <laughs> but roaches i'm like for what all they're gonna do is outlive us so when the nuclear they, apocalypse comes they feel they an important populate. ecological niche and they are you know they, they eat organic material but they i do agree that's fair my problem is that i've here's i can trace back my dislike of roaches to a specific experience which was stepping on one in bare feet and getting the goo on my foot no yeah no wonder you call them buttery there, it was such a crunchy, buttery experience. I didn't like it. I Zero hope out of that 10 I, stars. I have not scared away your listeners by really leaning into this issue yeah. of roaches. I like to, so there are some really, I, I might do an episode where I explore roaches or something because mm-hmm. there are some really cool ones like the Madagascar hissing cockroach. Oh, and, that is pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, just I, I'm, I'm very tolerant towards 99% of animals mm-hmm. and insects mm-hmm. and bacteria and everything except for uh roaches i think silverfish are kind of nasty and then mm-hmm. mosquitoes just because of all the people they kill yeah <laughs> that is the one right Ooh, and fleas and Cause, fleas cause they torture my dog and i hate it well thank you so much for joining me today thank you um is there? Can you just tell people about things that they can look online? Absolutely. That will bring them into your world, which is my complicated way of saying, do you have anything to plug? Oh, <laughs> I do. Um, yeah, check out my webcomic. It is at Bad Comics with an X by Anna. But if you just type in Bad Comics, it'll pop up. Um, I do comics pretty much every week about depression, anxiety, dairy. Um, <laughs> They, they're all interlinked, to be honest. They truly, in my world, they are. <laughs> um, you can also catch me on Twitter, at BadComicsByAnna. And, uh, you know, let us know your thoughts on these animals. Like, I really, I love when people comment on Twitter about episodes. Yes. It's, it's so fun. Could you guys do me a favor and send Anna some dick dick pic pics? Some what? Dick dick pic pics. So dick dicks are little tiny 
deer-like animal, and they're very cute, <laughs> oh. and it'll be fine, I promise. Okay, it did sound like you were saying send on a dick pics, and I was like, no, I no, mean, no. However, I don't know you why you would think that. It's dick, dick, pic pics. Engagement. Okay, <laughs> I'm expecting just cute little cuddly animals. Cute animals. Yes. Uh, yeah, and you can find us on the internet. CreatureFeaturePod.com, CreatureFeaturePod on Instagram, it's mostly pictures of my dog, CreatureFeetPod on Twitter, that's F-E-A-T, not F-E-E-T, that one is something very different. It's definitely a wiki feed. Yeah. Fan page. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's just dog paws, who knows. <laughs> and thank you so much for listening. If you're liking the show, you know, there's buttons, there's stars, there's subscription buttons you can press and... All that actually really does help me out, like, tremendously, so please, please do that. Thanks to the Space Cossacks for their super spooktacular song, Exolumina. Creature Feature is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. See you next Wednesday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.